everyone, and welcome to the Friday, May 26, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Tim Scott made his first visit to Iowa as an official presidential candidate, and Ron DeSantis' first official visit is pending. Nikki Haley was in the Quad Cities, and a caucus flashback appearance by Mayor Pete. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, who has now seen the new trailer uh, for the new Martin Scorsese film. Uh, that's a, a little Easter egg reference to anybody who listened to the podcast last week. With me this week, we got the full roster. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. And also, it's now Secretary Pete. That's right. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCulley here. Hello, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is with us. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Aaron. But have you seen the new Barbie movie trailer? <laughs> also important. Also an important question. I, and I did. I did see that this week as well. Uh, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is with us. Hello, Jared. Aaron, there there are too many people uh, listening to the, the podcast right now. Our, our servers uh, can't actually um, uh, handle this. Uh, we need to try uh, un- unplugging them and uh, and then um, uh, plugging them back in. <laughs> Have we tried rebooting? Oh, man. We need to dedicate more server space. Fantastic. Uh, stay tuned for more on that. And finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hey. See, I I go for short when time is of the essence. That's right. I appreciate that, Todd. (laughs) Oh, man. First up this week, uh, speaking of server space, uh, Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign is finally official, and it didn't get off to the smoothest of starts. DeSantis' announcement via Twitter crashed, literally. The Twitter spaces, which if you're not familiar, it's uh, Twitter's live video feature. Uh, with DeSantis crashed during his announcement event. Uh, Todd, how much of a black eye is that for the DeSantis campaign? Um, and how much does it hurt him here in Iowa uh, as he rolls out his official campaign? Oh, I, I don't know that it hurts him that much in Iowa where, you know, people are expecting to, you know, meet him in person and do all the retail stuff. I, maybe the, the online thing doesn't matter so much, but uh, it, you know, it could, it may have been the worst online rollout since Obamacare. So that <laughs> to put that in, that in perspective, um, you know, I, I'm old fashioned. I, I know every candidate now, you know, announces their presidential campaign via some sort of online, you know, whether it be a video or, or, you know, sit down with Elon Musk, which was a, a strange choice. I, I mean, you know, back in the day, you used to gather a big crowd in your home state and give a stem winding speech, and then you jetted off to the to the first primary and caucus states, and you had a whole day of announcements, and you got big coverage, and and you know, you know, unless unless uh, you know a meteorite hit the earth, or there was a tornado, or maybe even a tornado watch, which we've learned recently is <laughs> a very dangerous situation. <laughs> Uh, and you know, or a hurricane or uh, alien invasion, your your announcement went off and got coverage and got attention, and you 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 uh, you know you your events portrayed enthusiasm, and I mean you know you looked like a presidential candidate. I guess we're not going to do that anymore. Instead, I mean Ron DeSantis 
relied on Twitter, which was his first mistake because <laughs> Twitter has become less than reliable as as after Elon Musk purchased it. Uh, so, you know, it, I think it just the problem for him is it just fits into this narrative out there that he's stumbled coming out of the gate that he hasn't he hasn't looked good at events he's he's having problems uh with his likability and all these things uh eight pudding with his hands <laughs> I, I don't know just add add it all onto the pile but yeah i think i think it's you know from a national standpoint it probably was damaging because you know anytime a politician stubs their toe now it gets a lot of coverage and i think and i and, and you know the biggest thing is that that aspect of it dominated the coverage rather than what the message that he was hoping to get across in that interview. So, but he's coming to Iowa and he's, you know, obviously this is, it's early as they say. And, and so right. he's got time to, to make up for it, but yeah, yeah. Todd, I, uh, I get what they were going for with the, with the launch, you know, they're trying to show, DeSantis is like a newer brand of, you know, like MAGA Republican for a newer cohort. But I, I do still think that like television visuals matter for politics more than like, you know, even print, even though we'd all be loath to hear that or like tech stuff like a Twitter spaces event. And DeSantis is running against someone who's been in TV for decades. And what DeSantis has to offer at this point is a launch video that's like three and a half minutes long and has way too many images of Elon Musk in it and not enough of yeah. Ron DeSantis like doing things. Yeah, oh. maybe maybe he should have announced that Elon is his running mate, although I don't think Elon would be anyone's running mate. So he'd have to be at the top of the ticket. So I want to point to uh, there was a Politico story yesterday from um, the very same Sioux City event that our Jared McNett, I think we'll talk about later. But um, headline was Iowa voters don't think DeSantis's Twitter failure is real life. And the reporter literally just walked around the event and asked people if they had it was while it was happening, if they were knew about it, cared about it. And pretty much none of them did. So yeah. that's an you know interesting <laughs> little anecdotal sample size. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, that yeah. So um pull back the curtain a, a tiny bit here. Sometimes when I'm writing out these questions for the podcast group, I'm, I'm genuinely thinking it. I, I wonder what, uh, you know, Todd or Sarah or Jared's uh, going to say about this. It'll be interesting. And sometimes I write the question and I know damn well what the answer is. And this is one of those cases. Todd's exactly right. The answer is no, of course it doesn't hurt him in the long term. It's a, it's a, oh, it's a silly oh. little thing we'll talk about. Go ahead, Jared. Although one little thing that is not great is that like, you know, right after it happened, Fox News's website, like, said much hyped DeSantis presidential announcement, a disaster on Twitter. And then they had a photo, not even of DeSantis, but of Elon Musk, and the caption just said amateur hour. So oh, wow. that kind of stuff. Fox News, yeah. That's that matters a little bit more, although still, again, That's it true. is a, an announcement on yeah. Twitter. Well, and you only, I mean, you only get one chance to launch your campaign. I mean, that's, and that's one of the, supposed to be one of the bigger moments you launch your campaign and and you know and that sets the tone and this didn't set a very good tone but yeah Caleb's right I mean in Iowa like I say where politics is is close quarters I don't think right. people care so much about what was what was on Twitter right and one thing I thought was interesting DeSantis sent out a fundraising email afterward that was like DeSantis's launch broke the internet 
So. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen that. Oh, Back check mostly true. I don't know yeah, what that. Right. I mean, technically, <laughs> kind of ish. Yeah, from from a certain point of view, if uh, I can borrow from my Star well, Wars universe. I mean, Al Gore invented the internet. It stands the reason that oh, Ron DeSantis would break it. So, if oh, if I if I walk across broken glass and I I cut my feet all over the glass, did I did I break the glass or, or was it already broken? And then it just did horrifying damage to me. Oh, fantastic! It's a it's, it's a it's a riddle, you know. <laughs> the the spin machine has no limits. Uh, it it really doesn't. Um, all right. Twitter messes aside, let's let's uh, get down to the the nitty gritty here and and talk about DeSantis uh, finally being an official candidate in this race. Uh, he's coming to Iowa again this next week with events on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, interestingly, uh, he's not sticking around. It doesn't look like or coming back for Joni Ernst Rosen ride next weekend. Um, so there's one question from last week's podcast answered. Uh, Caleb. Uh, you talked to Iowa Republicans about DeSantis's official leap into the fray. Uh, what were uh, some of the interesting things you heard from them? Yeah, what, one sentiment was that um, he's got some ground to make up um, in the coming months after being built up kind of earlier this year as the clear Trump rival. And he still is obviously second um, in polling, both nationally and in Iowa. But his support has fallen pretty significantly over the last few months Uh and Trump's vote or Trump's support has risen, and so has the support of um, some of these other candidates. Um, and you know, half a dozen other candidates have entered the race, and they're kind of fracturing that um, anti-Trump block of the Republican Party. So, um, he, you know, he I think he has a dual uh, charge to both try to siphon some support from Trump and also um, convince some of those people who are you know maybe Haley or Pence supporters. Uh, to come uh, support him, that he will be like kind of the obvious um, anti-Trump candidate. And I don't know if he has uh, succeeded in that yet. Um, and there's yeah, also- Just real quick, sorry, Caleb, I want to jump in and, and tack onto that specific point real quick, um, because that was a point made to me by um, um, uh, a, a Trump campaign um, person who said, one of the challenges for everybody else in this field is that, um, when you're it's running against an incumbent, which everybody else essentially is in, in, in this primary, uh, you have to do two things. You have to convince people why the incumbent is not the person that should you should vote for and why you are the person that they should. Uh, and, and that's kind of an, what they're suggesting is an extra hurdle um, for uh, Ron DeSantis and these other uh, candidates. So that lines up with what you were saying there, Caleb. Sorry, uh, go ahead. No, of course. Um, there's also been this, you know, narrative or sense that um, DeSantis is a little bit awkward in campaigning and kind of the one-on-one -on -one talking with voters, retail politics. And so that's that's definitely going to be tested in these, you know, next in this next year as he's going to be uh, aggressively campaigning in Iowa and trying to um, win the support of, of these of the state Republicans. Um, but, you know, as I wrote in, in a story last week, quite a few of the Republican candidates are um, looking for that kind of Trump policies without the drama candidate. And I think, you know, despite the challenge to communicate that DeSantis, at least on policy, is maybe the clearest version of that. Um, and so that, that, that um, you know, is just how, how can he convince people of that? 
Um, and then there were also, I talked with some of the lawmakers that were, that endorsed uh, uh, DeSantis a couple of weeks ago. And um, one thing that they highlighted was how similar his legislative agenda in Florida was to our own Governor Kim Reynolds' legislative agenda this year. And they expected that to be um, a campaign uh, or, or, or a selling point that he's going to campaign on. And I think that's that will play well with, with the state's Re Republican voters because um, Kim Reynolds is very popular. Her agenda is very popular. Um, so if you can say, you know, um, I did all these things that uh, you all love so much in Iowa, I did these in Florida, and I'm going to take that to the national stage. I think that that's going to be a um, part of his campaign for sure. Yeah. I saw somebody write, and I wish I could remember who it was to give him credit, but, but they said that uh, DeSantis is trying to be Diet Trump. <laughs> Which I thought was a pretty good, a pretty good explanation of uh, what he's got to what he's got to do. Yeah, and uh, Caleb, to to your point, I I made a note of this that you know the more people like Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and you know Asa Hutchinson and Mike Pence get in, even if their polling is low, that only hurts DeSantis because one percent here, one percent there matters when it's only being drained from one person. None none of that's coming out of Trump's slice of the pie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I, something we actually, surprisingly, I don't think we've talked about a lot on the pod, podcast so far, but that is kind of if one of, if not the major um, story of this primary fight is it really is a, a Trump versus someone who's not Trump primary. And then the more candidates that file into that not Trump division, literally everybody else, the harder it becomes for one of them to stand out. And, and that's obviously going to be something really interesting worth watching over the coming months. Um, so that's the first official visit to Iowa that's coming up next week. Meantime, this past week, we had a first official visit in the books from Tim Scott, the U.S. Senator from South Carolina, uh, speaking of which. Um, Scott has been to Iowa literally dozens of times over the past few years, uh, going back uh, a cycle or two. Um, but his first Iowa event as an official presidential candidate was this past week in Northwest Iowa. Jared, you were there and covered that event. Give us uh, some of the highlights from the first official campaign visit from presidential candidate Tim Scott. So, uh, yeah, Wednesday he uh, came to town and did a pair of events. And the um, the real through line between the two stops was education uh, more than anything else, I would say. Um, because in the morning he visited um, Sioux Lane Christian School here in Sioux City. He toured the facilities and had a uh, roundtable discussion with faculty. And during that chat, he talked repeatedly about um, – school choice and how that's going to change education for the better and said that Iowa is a leader on school choice or school vouchers or educational savings accounts, however you want to uh, phrase it. And um, Scott also talked about um, school safety and how after the uh, Uvalde school shooting, which was one year ago this week, um, he pushed for more funding for school safety resources. Um, however, as I noted in my story, he ultimately didn't vote for the uh, bipartisan uh, Safer Communities Act, even though 15 other Senate Republicans did. Um, and that and, did have some funding for school safety in it, right, Jared? Yeah, there I there think. was all kinds of yeah safety yeah. funding in there for a number of different things. Yeah. Um, and 
also has been a theme of this cycle for a number of Republican candidates. Um, Scott in the morning at uh, Siouxland Christian talked about indoctrination of uh, young people in uh, education. He said at one point, um, quote, if we don't start uh, teaching kids that all things are possible, then don't be surprised when they buy into the drug of victimhood. Um, and he used kind of similar phrases and, and ideas a, a couple times, um, including near the end when he was asked a question about uh, something Joy Behar said about him on The View. He, he brought up this idea of indoctrination again. Um, and then in the evening, uh, he talked more about um, pushing for education expansion and also said he wants to create opportunities, restore hope and uh, protect America uh, by building a wall in that case, which um, is a throwback to 2016 and the uh, the Trump campaign, of course. Yeah. Um, Tom, you wrote about, uh, uh, you had an interesting story this week about Scott's uh, messaging as a candidate and the kind of the idea of having an inspiring message as a candidate when, when a lot of Republicans are looking for a quote-unquote fighter. Um, or brawler. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and 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 maybe some of the challenges Tim Scott faces as a candidate in this primary. Yeah, so um, Tim Scott is trying or is seeking to form a coalition of traditional conservatives, evangelical Christians, and moderate Republicans. And <clears throat> excuse me. And you know he's he's betting that emphasizing his faith his personal story and a more optimistic message, uh, while it should be noted hauling in significant campaign cash, um, will be enough to carry him to the Republican nomination. So he's offering an optimistic, compassionate message that he's hoping will serve as a welcome contrast to the divisive language, the combative tone, and grievance-based politics that uh, so far has shaped the early GOP primary field to date. Um, you know, he's he's cast his candidacy and his his rise from generational poverty um, to arguably the most powerful black conservative in the country as evidence that America is, quote, the land of opportunity and not a land of oppression, end quote. You know, he um, frequently mentions uh, that his family made it from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So that's a reference to his grandfather who was born in 1921 and was forced to leave school in the third grade uh, to pick cotton in the Deep South and then lived on to see his grandson elected to Congress. Um, you know, he, he talked about how his grandfather had faith in God, faith in himself, and faith in what um, America would be, and that, um, you know, he looked beyond the pain of his present, saw the promise of his future um, as a Black man who struggled through the Jim Crow South, um, but, you know, had kind of this um, unwavering um, belief in uh, the goodness of America, and that kind of gets to what Jared talked about um, with um, uh, Tim Scott, decrying kind of this um, culture of victimhood that I guess um, he sees uh, being uh, promoted or perpetuated um, by um, by the left. Um, so yeah, so his his faith and his his hard scrabble roots have kind of become a bedrock of his um, political identity and in a focus of uh, his campaign. Um, 
the you know the the question is um you know whether kind of that happy warrior you know reagan-esque optimism is really going to resonate with iowa voters who um and 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 iowa gop party um uh insiders and and, and operatives who say that uh that yeah that they're they're looking for a fighter they're looking for a brawler you know they are fed up with the biden administration and um are looking for someone who, um, you know, has a, a clear defined solutions and um, a sense of urgency in um, addressing again what they see or, or remedying what they see as kind of these failed policies from the Biden administration, you know, um, looking for someone again who is going to be aggressive in terms of um addressing border security the fentanyl crisis inflation um the rising threat of china um and and i guess what they see is um uh, corruption within the department of justice um i talked to um the dallas county gop chair um so you know dallas county covered suburban areas small towns farmland outside of des moines and is kind of considered um a bellwether um, and the, the Dallas County GOP um, party chair said, you know, um, Tim Scott's an affable guy, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of Iowa GOP voters like Tim Scott, they like his message, you know, it resonates with them. Um, but, you know, is, is he going to be the person that's going to be able to kind of unite the party and help it? coalesce into kind of a, a winning campaign um, to beat Joe Biden. Um, and there seems to be kind of some reservations about that. Um, I also talked to um, Alan Ostergren, uh, who is uh, president and uh, chief counsel at um, the Kirkwood Institute, uh, self-described conservative public interest law firm. Um, and, um, you know, he said that his sense of things is that Republican voters are hungry for a strong executive, um, again, who can take on remedying what um, the Biden administration has done over the last couple of years. And they're looking for someone who um, has a, um, a record of beating the left on, on, on the issues. And um, according to him, quote, the scalps to go along with it. And, you know, as, as, as a legislator, um, as someone serving um, in the Senate who's in the minority, you know, it's kind of hard to, um, to, to kind of make that, that case, you know, to, um, to, to be able to, to point to, um, you know, points on the board that they've scored um, you know, going after uh, the, the the Biden administration and um, kind of, you know, going after, you know, the quote unquote woke policies that they continually um, decry. Yeah. So that's the challenge. And, and, and for Tim Scott, the other challenge is he's not even the only candidate from South Carolina in the race. Uh, he, he doesn't even have his own state locked up necessarily. Uh his fellow South Carolinian and fellow Republican presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, also was in Iowa this past week. And Sarah, you covered Haley in the Quad Cities. How did that uh, event go? Yeah, so she's been obviously made several stops in Iowa, and I think she's 
really honed in her stump speech and had a pretty consistent message across stops. She was um, she was at an uh, antique car private museum, which is funny because at, about a year ago, she was in the same place campaigning for Marionette Miller Meeks. And she acknowledged that she just she just loved the it, the antique cars so much that she wanted to come back. Um, and and, and so she she did uh, the same thing in Sioux Center last year with the Feenstra thing, because that's also at a classic uh, car museum. So classic cars all around Iowa for Nikki Haley. All right. Interesting. Yeah, which um, she really, and I think I think we've seen this probably across her visits too, but she also pitched herself as uh, someone who, as a daughter of Indian uh, immigrants, she was somebody who, who grew up in America and had opportunities to uh, run for the state legislature, run for governor, um, become the uh, United States ambassador to the United Nations. Um, and so similarly, I think to Tim Scott has a message of, you know, America um, isn't racist. America is providing all these opportunities for uh, for people like me and um, and that America needs to get back to, you know, surrounded by all these antique cars back to this idealized form of America. Um, so there was probably about 100 people there to see Nikki Haley. And a lot of the people that I talked to were not necessarily committed to her. Um, people were really keeping their eyes open to other non-Trump candidates, people that uh, they wanted to see have a less divisive message. Um, and Haley, in her visit, I think one person in particular asked how she was going to return civility to America. Um, and that that garnered quite a bit of applause. So I think that that's kind of the type of crowd that she was talking to, people who are looking for a less divisive candidate than, say, Donald Trump or even um, Ron DeSantis. But uh, so that, and she perfect, pointed Sarah. to... Sorry, sorry, to just to jump in here. I was going to ask you about that as you described that. Um, so did those people that you talked to, did they say anything about Governor DeSantis uh, specifically? Um, a couple of people that I talked to, they, uh, they were still keeping all their options open, but that uh, uh, like one person was very non committal They're just like, I'm just looking at all the candidates. I haven't made yeah. any decision yet. Another person was like, you know, I'm really looking for somebody who has, uh, who, who can display strong leadership, who can be clear-minded about making decisions. And I really, and they really wished Nikki Haley had, would be doing better in the polls. Um, obviously, mm. she's still in single digits and acknowledged that uh, DeSantis and Trump have more name recognition and, and are doing better in the polls. And um, and that this person would, was going to vote for, you know, whoever the Republican nominee was going to be in the general election. So he was like, he was going to rally behind whoever um, had the most support and would unite the party. But, um, but yeah, so... But she also hit some like red meat points, like, you know, talking about Dylan Mulvaney and um, the criticizing that Bud Light ad um, and talking about how uh, like fentanyl crossing in the southern border and and things like that. So it's not all moderate, uh, you know, Unite America. There is definitely some red meat issues there, too. Yeah. All right. 
one more thing to talk about before we go this week. Um, there was another Iowa visit that wasn't a 2024 caucus campaign event, but did give off some 2020 caucus campaign vibes. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, or Secretary Buttigieg, as he's now known, was in eastern Iowa to highlight infrastructure projects that have been aided by federal infrastructure funding. Of course, Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders virtually tied in the 2020 Iowa Democratic caucuses. Day of the caucus night tech catastrophe in weeks delayed results. Um, although Buttigieg technically eked out more state delegate equivalents by an historically small margin over Sanders. During his visit to Iowa this past week, Secretary Buttigieg was asked not only about infrastructure, uh, but also uh, wanted to note this. Uh, he was asked about myriad bills passed this year by the Iowa legislature that advocates say will have profound negative impacts on Iowa LGBTQ individuals, especially children and students. Buttigieg, of course, was the first openly gay man to mount a competitive campaign for president. Tom, you covered uh, Secretary Buttigieg's appearance. What did he have to say to that question? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I think we've already pretty much covered it here, and I think you did a great job of, uh, of summarizing everything there. I don't, I don't know what else I have to, to add, to be honest, but, uh, I, I will, I will, I will give it my best. Uh, so yeah, um, he was, uh, he was asked, as, as you mentioned about, um, state legislators in, in red states, including Iowa, passing a number of these, um, bills targeting, um, uh, LGBTQ people, um, and he said that states trying to roll back LGBTQ rights aren't helping anybody. Um, and um, talks about how the you know Biden administration was in Cedar Rapids yesterday, um, trying to make life easier for airline passengers, highlighting um, uh, investments um, that have been made through the infrastructure law and talking about the uh, $20 million grant that the Eastern Iowa Airport received as a result um, of that law in, in that investment um, and, and how they're using that grant um, to um, expand and modernize uh, the airport terminal there, adding um, five additional passenger gates and, and talking about, um, you know, how this is going to, excuse me, <clears throat> how uh, this is going to, when the work is all completed, improve travel and passenger amenities, um, expand space to accommodate larger planes and position the airport to capitalize on growing demand uh, and add flights. And so, you know, he he used that um, to contrast it with what he saw as misplaced priorities by state Republican lawmakers. And, you know, again, saying we're in Cedar Rapids trying to make life easier for passengers while in Des Moines, they're making life harder for LGBTQ high schoolers. Um, he he said, you know, of all the things you could do with the power, the trust, the resources that are put in your hands as an elected official, um, why wouldn't you be concentrating more on building roads and bridges and fixing up airports, uh, making insulin more affordable, helping veterans and, and all the other things um, that he uh, said the administration is doing and said that, you know, we're going to continue to focus on the work that we can do um, it's making uh, people better off and in, in delivering concrete results. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, just about does it for this podcast. I just want to make a quick sales pitch here to make sure you tune back in next week. We've got a big week coming up on the caucus campaign trail, as we noted, uh, uh, 
Ron DeSantis is coming back for his official launch. So we'll have coverage of that event, be able to talk about that on next week's podcast. President Trump is coming back again, um, uh, doing a couple events. So, uh, and then of course we'll be leading into the roast and ride weekend. So lots to talk about next week as well. So, so make sure you come back uh, again. Um, and uh, also, I just wanted to uh, make say one last thing here uh, before we go. Uh, I hope everyone gets a chance um, this weekend to take a moment at some point uh, to remember and honor the Americans who gave the ultimate sacrifice while defending our nation. I, I, I know it's cheesy and a little corny, a little preachy, but I just wanted to make that note to, um, uh, for this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, as the great poem said, the torch is ours, the living to hold high. So let us not break faith with those who died so that they may sleep where the poppies grow in Flanders field. That's it for this edition of on Iowa politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the on Iowa politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the on Iowa politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox, you will receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. And if you haven't yet, make sure you get to see those uh, two trailers, the Barbie uh, movie and uh, shoot, I just know it as the Martin Scorsese movie. What's the title, Jared? Killers of the Flower Moon. In all seriousness, uh, I mean, the Barbie movie looks fun. That that Scorsese movie looks fantastic and, and really interesting. And I learned something. Uh, it's a story I hadn't been familiar with. So check it out. Johnny on Point will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you all for listening. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.